Welcome to the Soulful Sound Podcast. This podcast is about celebrating the leaders, teachers, and coaches who guide fellow humans to connect, heal, and discover themselves so they can express their gifts into the world. I am Simone Niles, a coach, sound healer, vocalist, and author. Thank you for being here with me today. In this episode of the Soulful Sound Podcast, I'm joined by the beautiful Juliette Russell, who is a singer, composer, vocal coach, and choir director. She is passionate about supporting individuals and communities to develop their voices and creativity. Juliet is a vocal coach on ITV's The Voice, The Voice Kids, and BBC's Michael McIntyre's Big Show. She has also worked with Grammy, Brit, MTV Europe, and Mobile Award-winning artists. She has collaborated and performed with innovative artists such as Damon Albarn, Imogen Heap, Paloma Faith, Alt-J, Yoko Ono, Seal, to name a few, and Ringo Starr. Committed to artist development, Juliet mentors and coaches emerging artists, working with management, record and publishing companies, as well as independent artists. In this episode, Juliet shares her story around music and helping to uplift and inspire communities. She talks about her healing journey with sound and how she serves others. Juliet drops some wisdom for aspiring creatives and discusses what she would like to see change in the music industry. We also speak about tuning in to our intuition and using fear as an ally. Super cool episode. I'd love you to join us. I'm so excited to welcome a very, very dear friend of mine. Juliet Russell is a music maker, educator, and creative director who specializes in singing and voice work. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, it's such a pleasure. It's, it's good for us to hang out. So I know. <laughs> yeah, it's recorded. It's neither here nor there. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely right. So I know that a lot of the work you do and have done over the many years has been about making communities better. And I often say that healing starts at home. And so it's really great to, you know, been a part of the work that you've done and a part of your vision um, and also to witness how you empower communities through sound and through voice. So could you tell us a little bit about your story, how all of that started for you? Yeah, I think for me, I've, I've sort of started teaching and singing at a young age. So I, I started Singing, that's kind of my singing was my natural response to things, even as a child. And my mum used to say, like, stop humming. So, and I wasn't even aware I was doing it. I'd just yes. be sounding all the time. Um, and I started writing songs really young. Like, I wrote a song when I was still at primary school. Mm. And, and it was about going to school, obviously, because that's all, pretty much all I knew. <laughs> that about. was life back then. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't a bestseller or anything. Um, and then when I was 16, I started teaching. I, I led a choir at my school. And, and I was very lucky that where I grew up, there was a lot of, um, there's a really good music service. And so I went to choir from quite young. I think it was it was free. I'm pretty sure it was free. And then graduated in it, into the secondary school choir when I did that. And I could always just kind of hear harmonies. Mm. And I don't know, even with my toys, I'd like, they were in a group and like they would all sing. And That's so, so cool. <laughs> Sounds so, very, very familiar to me as well. <laughs> so then... I suppose I, in so I suppose in my easy the community that was around me in my school community I mm. was already making music and sharing yeah, music yeah but I didn't really not on a not in a conscious way it was just mm. we had a competition at school and it was a choir competition and I led it and yeah we did we did well and then when 
I went to Liverpool at college. I met after I left, after I finished college, I stayed in Liverpool because um, I was doing a sort of arts conversion course, which is about turning your creative idea into a reality. And I met Jennifer John and then Safina Aziz and Perilene Hughes. And we set up Sense of Sound and really quite quickly within meeting. And um, that was really the catalyst to... Initially, it was about it was about empowering women and kind of being agents on each other's behalf, so Brilliant. negotiating for good salaries and that kind of thing. But it also, Jenny was already run, running a weekly workshop, which is we actually met in a nightclub. But then I started going to her weekly workshop and I started leading <laughs> it with her. And so, really, that was that. And for us, there was no real difference between working in the community and working in the music industry. And we'd act as a bridge between that. And I think doing that sort of in my twenties, I was twenty five when we set that up. Mm. It's just ingrained within me. So, and also, I think you're aware if you do music how it can transform you and people around you and so why not use it for that you know I think singing is something all humans have evolved to do so to tap into that is actually tapping into something that's part of us and it's beyond verbal expression it's something else Mm, that's beautiful and how are you using sound now because I know that you do you've got so many things going on in your life from you know running a festival to this wonderful creative salon where you're sharing and you know celebrating so much within the arts so talk a little bit about what what you're doing now with music well I'm on quite an interesting journey with my own voice and with my own practice generally because I've been kind of having a period of I suppose spiritual growth, I suppose I would call it. And so, and I went to New York last year and I went to, um, I studied with Meredith Monk, who's kind of, it wasn't actually her, it was people from her company. And it was all about voice and movement. And it was very liberating. And I I kind of kept that with me very much. So at the moment, I'm really enjoying the fluid aspects of my voice and the effortlessness of my voice. Mm. Um, and that's something I'm really keen to share with others like really appreciate the sound that you have and when you're feeling very open and free your voice does what it does and equally because your voice is in your body and it's in your life yeah respond to it as it is each day you know Mm. it doesn't have to be the biggest notes the biggest it's just like love what it is and be in what it is so that's kind of where I'm up to with all of that And I think that's so important because I know, you know, obviously teaching and coaching myself and being a singer myself, certainly working, whether it's in in universities and things like that, following curriculums and teaching techniques, sometimes that part is lost. Mm. You know, we get so much into teaching certain ways of doing things and obviously students coming and wanting to have particular, you know, technical abilities and different effects and things on their voice, depending on what they want to do in their career. And I think for me, I've certainly in the last, I would say, five years for sure come back to that place as you say of this is this this is my sound Mm. and how can I you know really connect with that and let let it out with all its vulnerabilities its strengths its weaknesses not judging it Mm -hmm. and then being able to find a place to go from there so I think that's really it's really incredible I mean I'm not I'm not surprised that that's kind of stuff that you're doing as well well, also, when you were speaking, it really made me sort of think that that thing that every person's voice is as unique as their yes. fingerprint. And yes. that's the beauty of the human voice is, you know, you know instantly when someone phones you, if you know them already, what, the, who yeah. it is. Yeah. So we all have that sort of vocal signature, if you like, and mm. that can evolve and change. But also really, really understanding that all voices have that uniqueness and that, that signature to them. 
Yeah. And so curiously, I would want to know if if you're working with someone because you're you work from that approach where similar to me, you are looking at that from that vocal signature. What is that authentic and unique sound and how can we enhance and, and develop that? Mm. Um, how What happens when um, how do you help someone who's coming into you with? I've learned how to sing like this. This is the voice that I've been taught to use. Mm. And they don't feel necessarily that they're connected to that sound mm. and that unique and authentic sound that they have. Yeah, I think it's, that's a really interesting question because your voice is not just formed in the body. Obviously, it's a physi- physiological phenomenon, but it's yeah. also your accent, where you grew up, how loud your family are, that's the kind right. of job you do. You know, it's shaped by a lot of cultural and social things too. Um, I think a lot of it is being playful, and just seeing what happens and also using emotional stimulus as the thing because you know you you might get someone who's not a loud singer and that's fine you don't need to be a loud singer but if their friend was about to be run over they would go hey you know that they, they wouldn't hesitate and that's their voice right. would be loud so it's mm. we've all got that but do you always need it and it might not be your aesthetic choice it may not be yeah your personal choice but actually it's all there all those range of emotions and all those rain, ranges of human expression are there and sometimes yeah. it's getting out of our own way or finding the emotional stimulus or the imaginative stimulus that gets us there. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I mean, when I when I studied sound healing some years ago, one of the things that I, as you're talking about those natural inclinations that we have, um, and we look at the different vowel shapes and how they relate to our energy centers and things like that. One of the things that was very interesting for me, and I mean, there's so many of these, but one in particular I'll share is knowing that the way the way we sound our heart is on the ah vowel and very often if we see something that moves us if it's like a, a, a cute baby or a cute puppy or whatever mm. brings that out the, the expression is usually ah yeah you know we <laughs> go into that heart space and that's naturally no one taught us to do that it's not something that we were taught to do and this is how you acknowledge a cute puppy everybody yeah you know it's just how a lot of us and I mean obviously this is a generalization I'm sure it's it's done in different ways in different spaces and cultures but I love the sound um, the sounds that we create naturally, those primal sounds or those innate sounds that we can then bring out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we connect with that, then it just makes it so much easier for someone to, to embellish it and learn all of the tools that they can then bring more of themselves out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes it's it's kind of takes courage to be different to how your expectation is of yourself. And that's, that's as much as if you're a loud singer and you think that's the best bit of my voice and I have to bring it there. But yeah. the loud is almost only beautiful if it's surrounded, if you kind of, it's almost like a jewel. It's like what surrounds it makes the jewel more beautiful. Mm. So it's, all, it's thinking about all of it and, and all those parts of your voice have a part to play. Yes. And like you said, if you're shouting, um, if you're bringing your voice up to acknowledge a friend or say, hey, hang on or hey, wait, bus Mm. or whatever it is, we naturally do those things. There are moments that are quiet. Mm. There are moments that are naturally we're just not going to shout, you know, and and even the intonation of I love you or I love you, or I love you, those subtleties that we make, I do feel not just in speech, but certainly that can then be brought across through how we express ourselves in singing or other things like that as well. And what was beautiful when you said the first I love you, there was space after it. Mm. It was hanging in the air. And sometimes that the space around what we do is really important, like on every level, like on a musical level, on a where you surround yourself, you're on a emotional level on a you know mental level everything yes sound and silence we need them both aren't Mm. they same I guess two sides of the same coin Mm -hmm. yeah but I love that you've drawn the parallel across everything because I know how important that is as well um and so that's awesome so 
as a sound healer and singer myself, I know there are many benefits to using the voice. I know there are a lot of things that we can improve in our health and, you know, communication and expression and just generally freedom um, through singing. And so I'm just curious to know what kind of healing experiences either you yourself have experienced through using your voice. Um, I know you spoke about being on a spiritual journey and the things that you're doing, or even, you know, witnessing something in the people that you've worked with over the years. Mm. There's something you said that has eluded me that I just want to come back to. And because what I was thinking was that I've had a sound healing with you and it was an absolutely beautiful experience. Mm. And I just want to say thank you for that. So I was oh, my pleasure. Thank you about that. And thank you. Um, healing. I think it's interesting. When my dad died, I didn't really sing afterwards. I found it quite hard to sing then. So at that time, it wasn't really a release for me. Um, it was almost like too much because I think sometimes singing so open, mm. I couldn't really go there with it whereas actually now it's the opposite to it I think I would probably be able to ride through that in a very different way but um yeah maybe because that was my first sort of big experience of loss or grief yeah and actually weirdly now my voice is affecting my voice as I was speaking about it now it's interesting yes um but I I really notice like say at Christmas when things quieten down I really notice when I don't sing and singing is so much part of my fabric of my life sure that it, I think it heals me as I go along all the time. Mm. And I think it's that thing that even if you're not in the mood to go and give a class or go and sing, it changes your mood and it, it's, it is healing, yeah. you know, for whatever reasons. I've been reading quite a lot about this because I'm doing some research into making vocal pedagogy more accessible for choirs and all these things. So I'm kind of quite interested in that. Amazing. But what, what, yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting, actually, because there's so much that we use in a one-to-one situation, but actually using it with multiple voices is a whole other thing Dimension. too. Dimension. Yeah, which is really interesting. But yeah. um, I'll save that for another day. Um, but what I really notice is with when when I was doing stuff with Sense of Sounds, nearly always in the feedback and the evaluation, it'd be like, I always feel so much better. Like my pain subsided. Like you people notice the change that it makes. And that wasn't even necessarily something we were initially conscious of. Yeah. But it was it was almost like a byproduct of that process. And then once you realise that is what's going on. Um, and obviously I do a lot of work around lung health. Um, mm. And I used to lead a singing for breathing group at Harefield Hospital. And actually for those people, it's, a, it's amazing because the social connection is so strong and that's a massive reason to sing and that's very healing in itself. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it also gives people management of their own disease so singing is not just something that makes you feel good and you get together with other people it does do that but it, there's research to show that it can actually um, reduce um, inflammation with cancer patients it's there is a very real thing that it does in terms of healing so yes it is a mood lifter and yes getting together with other people is that but it actually does create some quite, quite profound changes and there's lots of research that's kind of emerging about the influence of the vagal nerve because the vagal yeah. nerve that's um connects to our emotional centre, connects to all our major organs and goes right through the body. So there's all this kind of, mm. the science is starting to kind of really back this up. So it's a really exciting time for singing, healing, you know, the healing arts. Definitely. I read an article the other day actually about the vagus nerve being the, if we just sort that out, everything else is great mm. because it mm. really is that, that centre or focal point for a lot, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, in, in, in sound and for a very long time, you know, understanding the music theory behind sound and, and, and things like that from a contemporary singing perspective and then coming across to the sound healing, the, the way it marries with it is phenomenal. Mm. And sound, as you know, um, is being used a lot in medicine now mm -hmm. and frequencies and stuff like that. So as you talk about lung, lung, you know, people 
people who have lung disease or cancer patients, they're using frequencies to shrink tumors and to create change in, in some seriously powerful ways. So mm. I'm really excited to see how that all unfolds and, and, and wanting that, uh, you know, we, we don't take too long. I'm a bit, I'm yeah. a little bit impatient, I have to admit, because I've seen how, how powerful it can be. But obviously, it's about bringing it in a bit more into the Western um, medicine and because we don't have it as much as other other cultures. And I think it would be great to bring a lot more of that forward. Yeah. And I think science, that's kind of an interesting thing, because when I was looking at the vagal nerve, I first started reading about that in 2004 and where we're like 15 years later and now it's only just started to to be a thing and so then I was like this is so like to me it was like discovery like an amazing thing that had this potential but there wasn't enough evidence for it and it's the same with things like I think we have to have the research we have hunches and obviously it's really important to use your intuition and to find out what works with the people you're working with and you can do that on a very instinctive level if you listen and if you if you if you listen to it, yeah mm. but equally i think it's really lovely to have that whole scientific research that then says for sure this because it it means that anyone who's skeptical or anyone they have that another frame of reference that may be more yeah. to them i absolutely agree i guess for me it's more that the science is there so now what are we going to do with it yeah and spread and, the word about yeah, it yeah spread <laughs> the word about it because i agree i don't think it's all it's got to be wishy-washy and you know pull it out the sky and hope it all works i agree there must be you know we have to have both heart mm-hmm. and head you know it's all about balancing mm-hmm. both so i absolutely 100 percent agree on that um so you've been doing a lot of stuff in in the world of music um, um, you know, we work together a lot. So I know that you work on The Voice um, UK and you do a lot of stuff on television. You work with choirs. As you said, you work um, with lung health patients and in hospitals and stuff like that. I and, don't actually at the moment, but I did but do that. But you did do that and I do past. research based on that and I've created a toolkit for that. So sure. I'm so involved. so yeah. many things yeah. that you've done. Um, I'm curious to know what kind of obstacles have come up in your life or career so far. And maybe if you can share how you've overcome them, one or two ways that you've overcome them. I think for me, probably my biggest learning has been to slow down. Like my my natural pace is to move from one thing to another really quickly. And I think I've only really relatively recently appreciated the value of reflection because I'll often like finish something and then it's gone, it's moved on. And and actually what I'm realising is that the reflection gives you the opportunity to almost acknowledge and improve. Mm. Whereas I kind of... I tend to operate very fast and multiple things going on at once. So I think the phase I'm in at the moment is, is, and probably my obstacle I've had to overcome is my tendency to be fast. Right. And it's interesting because I've been meditating obviously for quite a long time, I think about 13 years in November, pretty much every, well, pretty much every day for, in all that time. But I think sometimes I've used it to supplement my busyness, whereas now I'm kind of looking at it in a different way, that it's, mm. it's actually about taking time particularly between activities yeah and so that headspace you're not taking one headspace into the next there's a kind of almost a sound of silence washing your hands. yeah sound of silence exactly that <laughs> so probably my, yeah. my biggest learning or biggest obstacle has been me and my pace <laughs> right yeah you are very very well I know you to be very on on speed a lot with yeah. a lot of things so it's great that you kind of suss that out and know for yourself that that's what, as you say, one of your obstacles. Yeah. Um, I, I can sometimes be like that. And I think it, it happens very often with entrepreneurs or people who work for themselves. Yeah. Because when you love what you do and it's really integrated into your life, 
you, yeah. you can be constantly on. Yeah. You know, I know. And, and I've had my my one of the things that I've had to learn to do is when I actually stop to get rid of the chatter in my head that goes, come on, don't be lazy. Get up and do something yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, hang on a second. I'm not being lazy. I just need to slow down. Yeah. I just need to stop. So I, I completely I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah. Sister. I know completely <laughs> what you're saying. Um, but, you know, it is a privilege and 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 I love, you know, you know, you know, I all about doing what you love and doing work you love is a big thing for me. So I, I completely understand. Um, and I wanted to ask you actually about your self-care tips being really busy in the music industry and the creative industry in general, because it can be such a hectic industry. Mm-hmm. So you said that um, meditation is something you've been doing for a while. Are there any other things that you do to help you kind of cope with the busyness of, of what your life can be sometimes? Well, I think generally this is not really a self-care thing but it's what I'm drawn to I only really do things that I like so great (laughs) I don't I really try and avoid doing things I don't like like in work or in anything you know I I really try nothing really feels like a chore great you know maybe sometimes doing my invoices or something but not generally when I'm working with people it feels like a delight so that helps massively but in terms of self-care I obviously I'm vegan so I eat healthily I I do try and spend time in nature like I've got I'm lucky that I've got a garden in London yeah um but also I go to the park a lot I I'm really interested in the natural world and I take time out to do that Mm. um I'm good at I'm good at going on holiday (laughs) oh good I'm good at taking breaks um (laughs) I'm not so good at when I'm at home is taking breaks but I'm good at take when I'm away I don't really think about work I use that as real like feeding time and so I'm good at switching off when I do take time to switch off yeah um so diet exercise is really important to me because it Mm. again it's another thing that sort of shifts your energy so that can be something that goes a bit out the window when I'm busy but at the moment I'm making a really conscious effort to build that into my day and that kind of comes first yeah that's awesome and I think that you know I mean movement exercise movement like you said yeah. changing the physiology is quite a powerful quite a powerful yeah. tool for yeah. shifting your states and shifting your moods and things like that but also sorry I just want to add to that as well yeah like, I feel very blessed for relationships like I've got amazing amazing friends obviously mm. you included in that high up there um, but, but I think the relationships can really nurture you if you Definitely. have good relationships and I know I'm very lucky to have really quite amazing people in my life that I feel support me and have my best interests at heart as well, you know, so, yeah. Mm. Well, they say you are the sum of the five people that you, um, was it that you hang around with or right, spend okay. most time yeah, with? Yeah, yeah, So if, you, if you're really loving your relationships and loving your friends, then there's a really good connection there, self-connection, self-love. We, we got we to gotta okay, put that, that out there. Take it, <laughs> take it. That's good. I mean, it's, you certainly deserve it, but it's, it's, um, it's wonderful that you feel that way. I, don't, I think mm. it is, um, there are a lot of people that don't. So it's wonderful when, you know, you can acknowledge that you have a great support system. Mm. And I, th- I think that's wonderful. And I'm glad to be included in that. Yeah, absolutely. As you are for me, as yeah. you know, we're having a love fest right now. <laughs> um, okay, so you've been working again in the in the arts in the music industry and I know that I mean I I work still with a lot of up and coming artists and Mm -hmm. people who want to go out there and do things and you know whether it's songwriting or just going out there and working as an artist and stuff and that's my favorite part actually songwriting you know the the artist development part is what I love it I love like when someone's really got something and and something to share with the world I love I think it's so exciting yeah, me too. I love it. And so what would you, what one piece of advice I would say would you give to an aspiring, you know, artist or someone wanting to go out there and do it? Yeah, there's probably two, actually. I think one is just be your best self. Like there's no other you and no one has the take on the world that you take, have, no one has, no one can bring that unique 
thing. So that's one part of it. Actually, it's going to be a three-part answer. Yes. The second part is to surround yourself, like we were talking about before, with people that really support you so that your team is there for you. So you've got people that will be honest with you, that have got your best interests at heart, that will help to evolve you or who inspire you. All those things are really important. Um, <laughs> this will be four, sorry. Keep know, going. Know it's your cool. industry. Know your get industry. To know, get to know what you're in. Get, get to know where you want to be in that, where your place might be, where you want your place to be. Like, Do your homework. Because mm. talent is wonderful, but it does take more than that. It takes, a, it takes a, lot, a lot of different things and it takes clarity. But probably the biggest take home, I would say, is resilience because your path is very unusual that the path is straight. And it's very unusual that if I do this, this will happen. So kind of coming back, you know, and if you look at, I don't know, a phenomenal artist like someone like Prince, he reinvents himself musically, you know, and there's there's artists now that they'll they'll come out with different things all the time and, or they'll move into production or they'll move into technology, you know, and it's it's that resilience, that, that sort of ability to kind of come back again and again, I think is key. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I, I, I mean, they're all great points. It's fine that there were four. We all need yeah. to hear. We all need to. We Sorry. all need to hear those. No, Could I think. More. No, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure it's hard to break it down because there's so many good. There's so many. There's so much goodness in that. Um, and you know what? What I find interesting. I mean, resilience is a great one. I think. Um, I talk a lot about failure and mistakes in my work. And, you know, for me, mistakes are feedback or failure is feedback. And mm-hmm. I think developing that resilient, that, that muscle of resilience is recognizing that, mm-hmm. that you are going to fall down many times, but you can decide to stay on the ground yeah. or decide to get up. And getting up doesn't mean jumping up and everything's massively different and great. Yeah. It means taking that one small step or putting your hand on the chair and slowly pushing yourself back mm. up. But it's about the willingness and, as you say, being resilient so that you get up and keep going. And it gets easier. Like when you've when you've had yeah. things that go wrong and then you've recovered from them, you're, you're like, oh yeah, I know how to do that. It's like building a muscle that helps you That's it. recover more quickly the next time. Yeah. And the mistakes aren't identical and they're right. never going to be the same. Mm. So it's the whole blanket of of every mistake or every perceived failure just get back up and mm. just keep going yeah um you know I, I i hope if anything that's something that i impart on my kids because this is something that i feel very strongly about and i think unfortunately working with clients over the years i've heard so many stories of the teachers who oh you'd never be able to sing or you could never do this or you'd never amount to mm-hmm. anything and all the comments that sometimes just feel like so easy to come out of people's mouths but can affect children in yeah. such a, in a way that then they take that into their adulthood um, and mistakes for me, like when I'm when the kids are in the kitchen and they're doing something. I remember they were really small, four or five, and they're wanting to bake a cake and they drop the egg and then they their eyes open wide and they look up to see the response. Mm. And you know, I knew better then. Maybe I'm sorry for my first one. I had a lot of learning there, Michaela. <laughs> but as I went along, I could recognize. Hang on, that's how they learn how mm. not to drop an egg. Yeah. Now you've dropped it, so this is what you need to do differently. What could you have done differently? And it comes back to what you were saying before where you feel one of the things that you've learned a lot is really about reflecting. Mm-hmm. And I talk about, which I'm going to add your resilience to, but I talk about the three R's, so I call them the three R's, which is review, reflect and refine. Mm-hmm. And I talk about this from a business perspective, from just your life perspective, that there are always going to be things that you just need to review and you need to reflect on them, think about them and then refine them so that they're better the next time. Yeah, I'm really glad you, that was a really interesting context for what you said before, actually, because sometimes a, a mistake or a failure or whatever 
just is a clue that maybe you're not on the exact right thing. Yeah. Because usually once you are, things automatically become very easier and there's a sort of fluidity and a freedom and an energy kind of comes with that. Yeah. So it's almost not like you want to kind of fail, get up, do it again, fail, get up, do it again. It, you want to kind of go, oh, that, so that reflect review that's it. is refined, is great. It's a great way of thinking Yeah, about it's like, it. okay, so that didn't work. So let's see what else could work. Mm-hmm. And how can I maybe tweak this or change direction, things like that, which for me is has been very, very helpful in my business for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, it's a lot of learning curves, certainly when you're building your own business or an entrepreneur and you haven't gone to business school, you're learning on the ground. Um, and so that reflection and that reviewing and refining has been a big part. But I might just steal resilience and put Please, that and be, <laughs> be, be the fourth R and yeah. might call it might. might call it the fourth R's because I absolutely think that resilience is is underrated um, and underused and I think it's a massive part of success and I put that Mm. in um, inverted commas because we all have our different version of what success is but in order to succeed at anything in whatever way or shape or form that is for you you need to keep going Mm-hmm. Because the nature of life and movement and energy and matter is, it's not, it is not static. It's no, always no, moving. No. And you might as well be at the front end of your change rather than dragged along by it because oh life gosh, is going to yeah. change anyway. I love <laughs> so. that. I love that. I think that might have to be the quote I steal from you and, put on, and put on your, on, on this, with this piece. <laughs> Don't be dragged, people. Be at the forefront of cha- of your change. I absolutely love, love, love that. <laughs> So what sound do you love? Ooh. Well, I like, there's loads of sounds I love. Um, In terms of musical sounds, I love things that have a sort of yearning to them, like oboe or French horn or that sort of a bit like came out of the ether sounds. But I love loads of sounds. I like people laughing, really makes me laugh. (laughs) And obviously we were with a big group of vocal coaches before and I love the fact that the volume (laughs) is so high. And there was a time I was with my choir at... um, a theatre and I was outside the room they didn't know I was there and I could hear them talking it was like a a flock of amazing exotic birds the volume was like so much bigger than 20 people so Mm. I don't know I like the sounds of life you know I like um and it's interesting with sound because I I don't know like my dog died last year and I videoed him before he died not not as he was dying obviously but um I was like videoing him and watching him in the garden and things and I always think our garden is really really quiet and then when I listen back to the film, I can hear all the traffic and everything. And, and it's it's really weird how you filter out the sounds. So oh, I actually yeah. really like that you can choose the sounds that you want to listen to as well, or your mm. your brain does too. So, yeah, yeah another yeah, long answer. Thank- Sorry, Sim. No, that's okay. <laughs> long answers are fine. But but thank just on that, thank goodness that we can filter out yeah. some of the sounds around us. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. It's so important. Like I grew up both in, in, in Barbados and then living in, in London. I've grown up and, and lived pretty close to airports. Mm-hmm. And I don't notice the plane passing unless I'm on the phone or I'm watching TV and I can hear it because it's disturbing or distracting me yeah. from something else. Yeah. But often I have people and they're like, oh my gosh, what is that? Or is yeah. that a plane? And I didn't even notice the plane yeah, passing. Yeah, yeah. So we do filter things out. We do get used to things. Um, and I love that part of our brain that I always talk about in, in my work. Anyone that's read any of my articles or listened to it, I talk about the reticular activating system a lot mm-hmm. because it is that part of our brain, the RAS, which stands at attention. It's part that is responsible for sleep to wake arousal, part of our respiratory system as well. But really, most interestingly, how I talk about it mostly is that it's direction oriented. Mm -hmm. It's the part that stands attention when we put our attention or focus somewhere. 
It's also the part that stands attention based on the programming that we have in our in our brain. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you're in a loud, busy airport or train station, it's like lots of background noise. And all of a sudden you hear on the PA system, well, Juliet Russell, please come to gate one, four, five straight away. You've heard your name above all of those millions of other noises around you and can go to the desk. It's also interesting how when you use it and you understand it and can use it to your advantage where you direct it in a particular place so that something can be manifested. So while I'm all about the law of attraction and manifesting and things like that, I also like this neurological and scientific side Mm -hmm. because it's like those moments where, and I know you're a shoes woman, Mm -hmm. so I'll talk about shoes, but it's like you see this great pair of shoes and you know I have to get these pair of shoes. And then all of a sudden you see other people wearing similar shoes to the ones you just thought I have to get. Yeah. You know, it's it's that. Yeah, yeah. RAS has turned on and it's like on radar is beeping. Yeah, yeah, beep, yeah. Beep, 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 beep. There are those shoes you just said you're going to get. So I love those, you know, I don't want to say synchronicities, but I love those things that we can yeah. re- recognize what's possible and use them. Yeah, and it's like you when know. you discover a new word, suddenly you see it everywhere. Or you right. see, yeah, you see it's like, I've never seen this word in my life and now yes. it's here. And it's here. Yeah. yeah. So I love that sort of switching yeah. on another level. And I was like paying attention to those things too, those mm. things that sort of crop up. Yeah. timely you know and it, it might just be that for you that's significant at that time but I like that it kind of for me it's like a little sign you're on the right lines <laughs> yeah yeah it is I mean and, and then you can you can obviously use it in a way that you recognize it as a possibility or just being as you used the word intuitive earlier just connecting with yourself and that intuition and being guided by things around you mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm very much about intuition. I love all of that. I make a lot of decisions from there, which for a lot of people doesn't make sense because, hey, your head's not involved. But I know the more I practice really tuning into that intuitive part of myself, that it really guides me in a, in a much better place than when I'm not, when I'm not. And also you're, you're tuning into yourself. So yeah. even have, giving yourself that time and space to listen mm. to yourself, because I think often intuition is very physical so it's, but if we're sort of pacing and our body's doing other things and it's occupied, you don't really get the chance to, to listen to your communication on that level. So that's mm. really important. Yeah. And I think it's really important as well to distinguish the difference between just having internal dialogue, which we all have. Yeah. And as you said, intuition is very physical and the intuitive part that brings itself out in a very particular way. And that's mm. unique to each of us. It's mm. no, it's no cookie cutter approach, but I, I, I say this because when I work with clients, sometimes the question they ask is, well, how do I know this is my intuition and not the fear driving driving that's me? That's exactly what I was about to ask you, this is if you break that down. Yeah, that's- yeah, because, you know, you have we have internal dialogue. Mm-hmm. We have those parts of us that we can't, we have those um, parts of us that, you know, might, might shout out and say, no, don't do that. And we think, okay, let's listen because I heard a big no. Yeah. Um, for me personally, intuition is very physical and I've worked out where I feel that connection mm-hmm. very much in my heart and my solar plexus. And I feel a, a, a strong connection between the two mm-hmm. when I'm really in that intuitive space. Definitely there's silence because that in that kind of tuning in for me is often um it's often where I, I i can hear hear and feel and sense that more um but also if you if you're someone who isn't necessarily connected strongly in that way i think kinesiology for example being able to sense what your body does in certain in certain energy ways is really interesting so if for example you think now if you do mm-hmm. it with me if you think the word yes over and over in your mind mm-hmm. or as i'm just going to say it a few times so that those listening can join in you're just saying yes 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 that's in your head or it's out loud yes yes Yes. And then you sit quietly. You have a sense in your body of what yes feels like. Mm. 
And equally, if you do the opposite and you go, no, 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 whether that's in your head or out loud, no, 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 and then you pause and you just sit with that, there's something that feels completely different. Mm-hmm. Now that takes practice like anything else and you can test it out and see what, what it feels like for you. So a lot of the exercises that I've, that I've learned over the years with um, kind of more the kine- uh, kinesiology and tapping techniques around that is that yes often brings an energy forward. Mm-hmm. If you feel like you want to say yes to something, the energy feels like it wants to go forward mm-hmm. and join whatever the yes is going towards. And equally, there feels like there's a backward or, or pulling away from when it's a no. Mm. Now, I wanted to say that after so that I wasn't driving the sensation of what anyone might feel. Mm-hmm. But often that's what happens. Mm-hmm. And so for me, often when I'm in a situation and I think, should I do this? This is something that I really want to do. And I sit with it for a second the answer comes. I feel Mm. either that I'm pushing, I'm going towards it or I'm pulling away from Mm. it. But coming back to fear, fear for me is a yes. Okay. And that's because for me, when I, I know that most experiences that I've had, when it's scary, and I know this for most people, when you're outside of your comfort zone, Mm -hmm. even if it's just outside, it doesn't have to be miles outside, Mm. but just outside your comfort zone is where you learn more. It's where the growth happens. Yeah. And that's that all that research on flow state and that kind of you want high you sort of most successful people have higher level of skill, yeah. higher level of challenge, but the challenge is slightly beyond the skill set. Yes. So you can grow into it. So yeah. you can grow into it. Same with growth mindset and fixed mindset, mm-hmm. being able to to get up and do something any anyway, grow, yeah. put yourself yeah, yeah. out there. I remembered once I was asked if I could do a talk. It was something that I was gonna put myself forward for. I wasn't sure, but someone contacted me and said, Would you get up and do this um this kind of talk about what the work that you're doing? And it was gonna be, I think, about fifty businessmen in suits in the this high-powered corporate world, which is not the world that I live in, but it was interesting. But fear came up in me. I mm-hmm. thought, I'm going to stand up in front of 50 men in suits, whatever perception I had of whatever that yeah. environment yeah, was. Yeah. I just got scared. And I was on the phone with the person. So it wasn't like I, I mean, I could have said, look, I'll think about it and call you back. But that fear, straight away, I said, yeah, I'll do it. Okay, that's interesting. And that's because yeah. I knew that if I'm afraid of it, that there's something for me to learn. But also on the other side, I do have the skills. I do have the skills to get up and speak in front of people. Yeah. I've done public speaking. I've taught public speaking. I've taught for many yeah. years. So it's not an unfamiliar skill, but it was a great experience, even though actually I didn't do it in the end because I think they gave it to someone else. The yes was so powerful for me when I went through the fair. I love that. But I also think I love that because I think that yes, that sort of thing, I'm going to do it because it scares me and because I know, and like you say, it's not from a foundationless place like no you had that. no definitely not but what if your response to something like that is no yeah what, what's the advice for people or how do they get beyond that if it's no when when because of the fear yeah even though they would have been totally capable of doing it but they're just that was too much for them at that time you know that their response to the fear wasn't a yes how can well, they well I think that, that I think that my my response to it to a fear being a yes was something that I grew into mm-hmm. I didn't want one day think oh I'm just going to say yes to everything that scares me so yes. just to say what I would say is be gentle and graceful with yourself because it's okay if something's scary yeah. but fear is often and in fact I would go as far as saying fear is always always not in um rational or in or anything like that it's not intellectual and it's not rational mm-hmm. unless it is the fight or flight response yeah, in our body it. and 
Yes, you were going to add something. I was just going to say, because our body can't really tell the difference between actual danger and things we're scared exactly. of. So it's that thing. So sometimes yes. it will be actual danger, very rarely. Yeah. Then we listen. But otherwise... Well, the thing is, apart from the, the survival instinct that we have, yes, there's a, a wild lion that's in the room. Yes, you know that, you know, your life could be in danger. That's a natural mm-hmm. um, fear. Having said that, if you put a baby in the room with a lion, the, 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 the baby doesn't know to try to crawl out of the room as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So... It's believed that we're born with two fears, the fears of falling Mm -hmm. and the fear of loud noises. Mm -hmm. And all other fears that we have have been learned. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so therefore can be unlearned. Yeah. So we have that. I don't know. I mean, we've all experienced this at some point where you're sleeping, for example, or you're in a restful state and you have a sense of falling and you jump out of your sleep. That's that's innate. You didn't learn to do that. Yeah. It was an unconscious response. Similarly, with loud noises, something is really loud and your body responds. You know, this is they do these tests for babies where they clap really loud to test their (laughs) not just to see if they can hear, obviously, but just to see their response. Fortunately, they don't do the drop test. That yeah, wouldn't good. be fun. <laughs> that wouldn't be a good test to Into do. A trampoline. Yes. Let's see what happens with this newborn. Yeah. So, so that's what's. I mean, certainly from an, a neurolinguistic programming and NLP perspective, which is where I learned that. But I know that it's it's kind of widely known that those are the two fears that we're born with. So, what I would say to someone who is scared and they're thinking, "No, I don't want to do this," is to maybe pause. Mm-hmm. and not respond yes or no. Like I was saying yes immediately because I practiced to get to that point, but just to pause yeah, and allow themselves the silence, as we say, before they sound, before mm-hmm. they sound from a place of fear and say no to something that could potentially be a beautiful learning experience. But as you said, it's not foundationless. It's not without ground. You know, you've got the skills to back it up, but you're just afraid of something else. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the skills to back it up and you can learn them in time, then I might still say, go for it. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it's about being prepared. You're not putting yourself um, in situations where, you know, you're, I don't want to say setting yourself up for failure, because actually, that's okay, too. But, you know, be smart about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because if there's something that is a little bit beyond you, but you have the basis for it, it's definitely good to stretch yourself and learn. And I've definitely said yes to things that, um, I don't know, like, a, there was a big project that I didn't know I didn't know that I, whether I could do I was a lead composer on a project and I had to create this piece that was going to be performed and recorded with, with kids. Mm. And I didn't know, and I, I didn't realise, like, I've never done this before, but I was like, you know what, I'll figure it out. I'll yeah. figure it out as I go. And, you know, yeah. obviously when you're working with other people, they're also figuring it out. And to be honest, a lot of creativity it's, and a lot of songwriting is figuring it out. It out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, so, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, which is, which is, yeah, which is beautiful. And I think also, you know what, it's, it's also equally important to uh, know when to say no mm-hmm. and to have certain boundaries in place so that no is no. Because yeah. I, as much as I say yes to a lot of stuff, I say no to more than I say yes when it comes to things that are not, as you say, for you, you only do things you like or that you love. When I when I'm asked to do something, there is a sensation of, oh, no, 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 I can't. I don't want to do that. Mm. It's not like I can't do it or no, this will be a great opportunity. But I just no, I don't want to do that. I think that really comes from a place of clarity. Yes. As well, in really knowing what you want and what or what in that what that phase of your life demands from you or needs from you. Yeah. So sometimes something would might even be good in the future or might have been good previously. Actually, that's not the right time for that thing. And timing is as important as all the skills and the opportunities and all of those things. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I'm sure this has happened to you before as well, where you've said no to something, you know, let's say potentially something that could be a great thing for your your Mm, career mm. or where you are, but you just know it's not for you. 
you just know this is not the right time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And that, and that, you know, if you have the, um, I suppose this, the, the school of thought that I like to have is that the opportunities will always be there. One, yeah. because I will either create them or I'm open to them being created for me. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, we talk yeah. about being in that flow state, just being in the flow and of, of the universal energy, if, if I can go as far as saying that, where you just know that there's always something out there for you and there's always something that you can create for yourself. And I think that's a really important mindset to have, because I always say this when I'm talking to people in similar fields to us, that there's enough work for everyone. Yeah. And actually what you're actually building is a scene or a landscape or a, and everyone might be doing it in their own way, but that just enriches the landscape. It doesn't then put mm. them against you or it's like there's room for everyone. And as long as you're doing your thing and honouring that and honouring the people around you, then yeah, there's space for us all. <laughs> yeah. And I think in the industry that we're in, which we know can be quite competitive and I don't necessarily mean consciously in competition, mm-hmm. but just competitive because there are a lot of people wanting to go out there and sing and, you know, to build a career in that way. Um, and I think that that's a great thing to be reminded of, you know, there is enough work out there for us all. And there's, you know, we all have our place mm-hmm. in whatever shape or form that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm curious, this is just a question that's just come to me because I know you worked for, gosh, am am I right in saying three decades in the music industry? Okay. (laughs) I don't want to tell you how old she is because she looks, she looks three decades, but um, so about three decades in the music industry. So is there anything that you would change about it? Not, not your work, but yeah, the music industry itself. I, yeah, I think... We're in an interesting time with the music industry, obviously, because of technology. And I think it's really, it's a, it's a hard thing, isn't it? Because you want to be in your time and you don't want to have things that are kind of not of their time. But equally, I think what's really exciting about technology is the artists have the means of production. So you can write your songs, you can produce them relatively easily in a way that, say, in the 60s, you could only really do that if you had a record deal. You could only record your music if a record company was sponsoring it you went into a studio that was set up for that. Whereas that's what's brilliant about technology, it's democratised things. And I think that you can build a career through outlets by building your fan base. And I think all of those things are really exciting. But I think some of the things that may be equitable fees for artists with through things like streaming, I think are an issue. Like mm. if you've got a, kind of something that was a best-selling single that now would not make you the money that it might have made you yeah, a few decades sure. ago. I think there are some issues around that that maybe haven't been figured out, but I think probably we're in a bit of a transition time with that. But I think it's like anything, like you can connect. I remember years ago reading this really interesting article that if you had 5,000 fans, you could really you could build a career on that. And there was a Scandinavian artist who I can't remember, it wasn't Robin, but... Um, there's Scandinavian artist who's that's she had a fan base and she could sell out Shepherd's Bush Empire, and that was kind of enough for her to sustain. So she didn't need record companies. She didn't. She had all her own publishing. Wow, so yeah. I think if you think of yourself as a micro business, there are ways you can make it work. But I think there are maybe things that aren't as equitable as they could be. Yeah. Um, but I think that's that's maybe a lot of artists are making more money from synchronization deals or product alignments and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think I don't know. I think. It's something we're still figuring out is our relationship with technology and and how we... Because I feel like with every other... Sorry, I didn't quite finish my point, but I feel like we're figuring that out, out. And I think what was interesting about technology previously was all of the technical advances were in how we make music mm. and the format of music whereas now what the technology is for is to d- the distribution yeah and that's right. what's changed and that's what i think we probably need to figure out a bit 
Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I there's so many transitions happening around us because of the, the speed at which technology is moving generally. Mm. So I, mm. I certainly, yes, from the music industry perspective, I completely understand. Um, and I think, yeah, pay is definitely a big one. You know, we talk about there's enough work out there for everyone. And this is a bit of a it's not a conundrum, but it's 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 something that's hard is that there are a lot of people. Unfortunately, this is the reality that are still willing to go out there and perform for free. And and there's and they're good. Mm. And so there are a lot of venues who won't pay because they can get people to do it for free. And or it's really hard because you feel like you know, because I always say to people that I'm coaching, it's like I can give you everything I can give you within with the time we're together, but what I can't teach you is what it's like to be on a stage. Like you have yeah. to go and do that yourself. You have yes. to learn how to get audience feedback. You have to learn that craft. I mean obviously you can learn you can apply performance skills and you can work with that but you can't actually be the person on the stage learning yeah, that experience uh, yeah, everything so so I think it's hard because while you're learning your trade is there a case for doing it for free and then at some stage you say no you yeah. know and it's and I think that's maybe something that's quite particular to the UK mm. that there's a lot of free music going on but equally actually where I live there's there's a lot of bands that do get paid because they're bringing people in like to some yeah. of the pubs and things like that because obviously the nature of drinking and pubs and performance venues has changed so there's a lot of venues closing and things like that as well so it's I don't know because yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't know what the answer is to that because sometimes people want to work free because they want the experience but where do you stop yeah it's, it's, where's the it's expectation? that's why I, that's kind of why I said a conundrum because it's like you, you can understand both sides mm. but it's really difficult when you are at that professional level yeah. you know you see the memes out there all the time where you know the, the, the amp or the mic or and all of that costs this this amount this two grand and everything that you've got costs two grand and then yeah. you get paid 50 50 quid yeah yeah and it's just like come on you know the amount of effort time practice and everything that you put in as an artist it needs to be it needs to be monetized it needs to not 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 everyone wants to to make money from their art so it's fine if that's not the case but if it is something you want to do then um, there must be a way for us to make those changes yeah and it's interesting actually thinking about it from the other side of it being and being really really honest with the festival we don't pay all the artists because we have we we it's a sort of not for profit organization so it kind of it does rely on people who want to be there and be part of it not completely like we do and we're trying to sure. everyone, make sure everyone's fed and watered and it's often people that really want to come and it's a way of them coming but there is that balance need to balance that and it's something i'm very aware of, of on one side of my company i'm fighting for the singers to get paid the most and the best that they can be yeah and then the other side then i'm saying to people this is what it entails, but I, yeah. So, but I think context is everything. I think I think that the 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 environment of your festival and what you're creating, and as you said, nonprofit and all the things that you're doing is very different to the work that you're doing when you're bringing singers in for you know the type of work that yeah, you do. Yeah. So I appreciate that you're being objective and reflecting, mm, <laughs> reflecting <yeah. laughs> on it. But it is it's a very different context, I think. Yeah, but I suppose the principle is the same. So it's an interesting one. It's something I really yeah. think about a lot. Within how when we're sort of looking at the budget for that, you know, just making it equitable. And it's interesting because some people won't do it. And I think that's right. And But then also you think, you know what, I'll look at you for next year because then I know how that works. And I yeah. want you, but I can't do that this year because the budget is allocated to this and yeah, that sure. kind of thing. So it is, yeah, but just thinking about it really honestly, I can understand it from both sides. Really. Yeah, but equally, equally at my the fundamental principle is if you're doing a job you should get paid yeah but you should at least get but payment I suppose in some contexts 
it's not always monetary. No, I was just about to say that. Because the ticket has a value and the thing has a value. I think having food and drink has a value. But I suppose it depends where you are. It depends where you are in your career too. Of course it does. I was going to say not everything necessarily needs to be a monetary exchange Mm -hmm. because I think as long as there is an exchange to... For certainly the work that I do, a lot of pe- people that come to me and say, look, I really want to work with you as a coach. Um, I can't afford where you are right now. I don't work with everyone who can't afford me. But for those who I feel intuitively is the right time to do mm-hmm. so, I talk about what can we do together then? What's the yes. exchange? What's the way that we can work where we both benefit? And there's always a way. Oh, yeah. There's totally. always a way. So I, I, I think it's really important to acknowledge that that way of working. We you know before currency is as we know it, that currency was something else, wasn't it? Yeah. And also it's really interesting because this came up on a forum that I'm part of about um, teachers not getting paid. And actually, there's a job that I do regularly that I don't get paid for. and But, but I do get value from it. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of value from it. And so the value of it isn't monetary. Yeah. So actually that's made me feel better about the not paying all the other <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fine. There's an exchange, so that's fine. Yeah, I feel yeah, a yeah. bit more zen. There we go. Yeah. We, we, weren't, we weren't aiming for <laughs> that, but it, it's yeah. resolved. We love that. We love that. Yeah. Amazing, amazing. So I have just one more question around things that are like, what inspires you? What really, what, do, what lights you up inside? Oh, so much, so much. Um <sighs> I love it when I see someone have a breakthrough with something that they feel they've gone past what they've expected of themselves. I love that. But things light me up. I don't know, like seeing a child on the tube and making contact with them lights me up. I don't know. Or, you know, even sometimes an animal really takes a shine to you. You know, there's lots of different things light me up. I think, yeah, I mean, so much. Obviously, singing lights me up. So many things. I mean, like... I don't know, one of my friends really having a belly laugh lights me up. I don't know. So many things. <laughs> like the beauty in the world, you know, there's mm. there's so many, there's so many, like we live on an amazing planet and there's so many amazing people doing amazing things. When you actually think about the scale of it all, it's beyond a miracle. Mm. Yeah, and I know there are things that, you know, we're in a funny time in, in lots of ways and politically and everything. But overall, the sort of, the humanity in people and the planet that we live on and the way that we do connect with things, the way we can connect with nature, with animals, with, you know, with other species, with the universe. Mm. It is like when you actually put things in perspective, we're living on a kind of living, breathing miracle. Mm. And we need to fix lots of things to do it so that we continue with that. But yeah, it's, yeah. Life lights that's, me that's up. A, I was going to say, that's such a beautiful way to think about it and the way to express it. I could see how lit up you were talking about it, actually. So I believe you. I believe you. Um, I want to say thank you so much for joining. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you. And thank oh, you. for sure. Thank you so much. For sure. Yeah. Connecting with your heart, connecting with your voice. I love it. Um, to connect with and learn more about Juliet, you can go to her website at julietrussell.com and across social media platforms at Juliet Russell and at Juliet Russell Music, I believe. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining. I celebrate all that you are, all that you you do. Thank you for being a shining example for others and myself. Well, you too. I mean, it's a very mutual thing. And, you know, everyone we work, we get the pleasure to work with equally inspires us. So it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's But I just want to say for me, you are what I would call an activist when it comes to sound and voice. 
And I think it's so important for us to be able to take action and do things that matter because we have a lot of people talking and sitting back and wanting and wishing it to happen. But it's so important for us to step up and take action. So you are an, an activist and someone who's, you know, leading the way for many others through sound and voice. So I love you and I'm very inspired and touched by all the work that you've done and can, will continue to do. So thank you. Oh, so, thank you, darling. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so those I, words. I feel quite, um, what's the word? Elevated. Thank you. I appreciate oh, it. Thank you for the appreciation. Oh, for sure. Really lovely. For sure. Thank you. And so my final question for you is, what is your soulful sound to the world? A self-prayer or desire that you wish upon the world? Mm, I would like us to witness and honour the beauty in others. That is beautiful. Well, what a better note to end on than that, right? To witness and honor the beauty in others. Well, my darling, I witness your beauty <laughs> and I on, I feel honored to be a part of your life. So thank you for that wonderful soulful sound wish and wishing you all the same that you can go out there in the world and witness the beauty and honor the beauty in others. Lots of love. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share it with your friends and remember to subscribe. From my heart to yours, sending you love, healing, and sound wherever you are.